It's the last one. It's the last one of the semester. It's actually the last Calpha service of the decade. I don't know if you knew that. But Calpha started in 2010. So they started as a, there as a small group of students meeting on the top of the union. So they meet outside on the top of the union with an acoustic guitar. There's like 10 of them. In 2010, in October, they started meeting. And now here we are at the end of the decade. It's crazy what God has done in 10 years. So I'm thankful for just everything he's done. And I'm and I just firmly believe that we're just getting started. Um, I think we've built a foundation in these last 10 years, and now I believe that God's going to take us further than we've ever gone before. So I'm excited for that. But if you're new tonight, I just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, last week, we just got a bunch of t-shirts, or not t-shirts, t-shirts that came in. So if you haven't gotten your free t-shirt yet, or maybe you were new like three or four weeks ago, get your shirt tonight, all right? So grab your shirt and get some prayer as well if you want it. But how many of you had a tough time spiritually over Thanksgiving break? Okay, you can be honest, all right? This is, this is a real place. Okay, if you had a tough time, okay, thank you for being honest. Um, from what I've gathered, it seems like a lot of us, uh, specifically a lot of students, had a really tough time over break staying on track with the Lord. Specifically, if you are a new believer or if you just started following Jesus in this last semester, I heard that it was kind of hard to go back home and to try to follow Jesus passionately when you were in your old environment, a place where you didn't follow Jesus before, it can be difficult. And can I just say that I've been there before, okay? So I'm talking back in the days of when Kyle first started, when I came in as a freshman, I got passionate about Jesus. I loved this community. I was excited about uh, the passion of worship and community. And then I went home to where I was before I started passionately following Jesus, and it was way more difficult to stay on track with the Lord. I'd always have a tough time. When I would get home over Thanksgiving break or Christmas break or spring break, I would just feel like I'd take like 10 steps back from all the growth I'd had in the last semester. In Chi Alpha, you are encouraged to stay on track with your Bible reading, you're in small group, you're in worship services that are passionate with students your age, but then you go home and you're around people that maybe don't encourage you in your faith or maybe an apathetic place where people may say they're Christians but they're not really going after the Lord. And you're also in your old environment where you practice old bad habits, and it's hard to stay on track with the Lord. And, and for me, it, it took a while for me to really, like, come face-to-face -face with my problem of when I get home, I don't act like I do when I'm here. And there's one time I remember, I've dated Emily, well, not married to her, but I dated Emily all through college, okay, so she's been a part of this whole journey. And I can, I can remember one time talking to her in the car on the way back probably from a family trip or something, I don't know, but I just said to her, I said, Emily, I kind of suck when I go home, don't I? She's like, yeah, yeah you're not great. When you go home, you act like a 10-year-old, you uh, don't read your Bible as much, um, you're not as graceful with people. I'm like, yeah, you're right. So since then, she's been holding me more accountable, and I've been more aware of it because I've admitted it. Part of it sometimes is admitting it and saying, hey, I suck when I go home, okay? You probably, or don't say suck. That's bad. Say I stink when I go home, whatever. But anyways, I don't do as well spiritually when I go home, and I need to work on it. So now when I go home, I'm very intentional. I say, okay, I'm going to be tempted to be snippy with my brothers. I'm going to be tempted to fight with them. I'm going to be tempted not to read my Bible because it's hard to find a quiet space. So I need to be intentional. So what I do now, uh, specifically when it comes to Bible reading, is I will put in my headphones, and I don't care if there's a ton of stuff going around around me, I will read my Bible, and I tell myself I have to do it before I go to bed when I'm at home. Just this last Thanksgiving break, we stayed there for three days, 
and it was like 10.30 at night on Saturday, and I hadn't read my Bible yet, and people were talking, playing games. I put in my headphones. Taylor's laughing because she was there, and I'm trying to read like Zechariah or something. There's a bunch of stuff going on around me, and I don't know if I got a lot out of it, but I think the Lord honored that discipline of saying, it doesn't matter where I'm at, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And, and doing things like that, being intentional, having people hold you accountable, it helps you to be the same person no matter where you are. And tonight, what I want to talk about is how Jesus can empower us to be the same passionate follower of him no matter where we are or who we're with. Okay, so some of you, it's not just Thanksgiving or Christmas break. It's when you go and hang out with those certain friends that you and I, or if you're hanging out with a different crowd than your Chi Alpha crowd, all of a sudden you start to cuss more. All of a sudden you don't seem like a Christian. You're talking in ways that don't honor the Lord. You're being mean. You're, you're picking on your friends, whatever. And I just believe that that's not Jesus' purpose for us. He doesn't want us to be one person in this place and then someone else there. He wants us to be a beaming bright light for Jesus no matter where we are and no matter who we're with. There should be something where when we're around people who don't know Jesus, where they feel compelled and they say, what is up with them? Like, What is up with that person? You know, it's funny. Me and Emily, uh, we go to a lot of adult parties for her work and things like that. And we don't drink alcohol, and it's always a little awkward. Like they'll look at us and be like, um, why are you drinking a Pepsi when the rest of us are drinking the free alcohol here? And that's where we get an opportunity to explain that, hey, like, hey, we love Jesus, and we just don't want to drink. And I love those moments. It's awkward at times, but I love those moments where we can be bright, shining lights for Jesus. And I believe that God wants that for you as well. I really believe that. And I'm saying from experience, I know what it's like, and I still struggle, but I think if we talk tonight about how we can do it, I think we can go home for break and have a really great break. And I'm excited because most people here tonight have been around Chi Alpha. Uh, It's a smaller night, and I think this is kind of a family night. If you're new, we're glad you're here, but this is kind of a family night where I can say, okay, guys, let's do this thing right when we go home. Okay, so that's all we're going to talk about really is how we follow Jesus consistently no matter where we are. So this sermon is entitled, Jesus Empowers Obedience. Okay, Jesus Empowers Obedience. When Jesus saves us and the Holy Spirit comes to take a, or take a residence in our lives, he empowers us to be solid, consistent, and obedient to him no matter, in our, no matter where we are or who we're with. Okay, so this idea of arrival, this series of arrival, it's, or, or the whole idea is that when Jesus arrives in our hearts, it should change everything about us. And tonight what I'm going to propose to you is that when Jesus arrives in your heart, he'll make you an obedient son or daughter of him. He'll give you opportunity to do that. Okay, so we're going to look at uh, the book of Philippians in chapter 2. It, there's, uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Okay, so if you start in the New Testament and you work your way that way, you did not track with that. But uh, go to Philippians or turn to the table of contents. Nobody's going to judge you. Okay, and if they do, just go psh, psh. That's all right. <laughs> all right, the book of Philippians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And the Apostle Paul was, uh, the Apostle Paul was one of the earliest Christian missionaries and church planters. He planted churches all over the place. And he planted this church in Philippi. And we read about the church's founding in Acts chapter 16. So the cool thing, when you read the letters from Paul or from other uh, early Christian apostles, when you read their letters in the New Testament to certain churches, you can typically find that church's story 
in the book of Acts, which is the biography of the early Christian or the early part of Christianity. Okay, so in Acts chapter 16, we read about how the church in Philippi was founded. And how it happened was Paul was preaching, and there was a woman named Lydia, and it says that the Holy Spirit opened her heart to believe Paul's message, and she was the first follower of Jesus. And through her, a church was planted. Through one woman coming to know Jesus, a church was planted. How amazing is that? I believe that God wants to do that all throughout the globe. I believe God wants to do that in Iowa. He wants to send missionaries to communities, find one person who will follow him, and then plant a church through it. I believe God may send you to communities to plant churches. I believe that. I believe there are church planters and missionaries in this room right now. I believe God wants to inspire us to be missionaries to communities like Philippi. So Paul goes there. He preaches, and the woman gets saved. There's more people who get saved. There's incredible salvation stories. And Paul loves this church in Philippi. They're pretty obedient. Like, uh, they're a pretty healthy church. Most of the churches he deals with in the New Testament are pretty difficult. There's a lot of difficult people. But the church at Philippi is a relatively healthy church. And this letter mainly is just to thank them for their support because they supported him financially and they supported him in prayer. And he's mainly just trying to thank them. But he also wants to address a specific problem. So they're having the problem within the church, which happens in every church pretty much every church that's ever existed, he's addressing the problem of disunity in the church. And he's trying to bring them back to unity and back to a sense of togetherness that's centered on Jesus. And, and Paul teaches that they can continue growing and staying on track with Jesus and being the community that God has called them to be if they're intentional about being obedient to Jesus and following his example. He's teaching that growth and health does not come in a snap, but it comes through a daily decision to obey Jesus. And our passage tonight teaches that spiritual growth and consistency with the Lord comes when we both work hard to follow Jesus and allow God to work within us. It's this partnership of our effort and God's power. It's really beautiful. God works in us, and then as an overflow of that, we work as well. And as we do that, we can be the people, the specific individuals, and the community in the church that God has called us to be. So he's telling Philippi, hey, if you'll work hard at this, if you'll allow God to work in you, then you'll be the church that God has called you to be. Okay, so let's read in verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but, or, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, last week, I said that Jesus, or I said in the presence of Jesus, there's no reason to fear. And now I'm reading a passage telling you to fear. Okay, so we'll see how that works out later. So for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his, or for his good pleasure, to all things without grumbling or disputing, that, that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. All right, that's a little bit wordy. I hope I explain it well to you, so we'll see if I do. But first, let's pray that I can do that. All right, Jesus, I pray tonight that this passage would jump off the page and that it would come into our hearts. God, I pray that you'd like deposit this scripture inside of us, God. I pray that we'd feel like we're the church at Philippi and we'd feel the weight of Paul's words and that they would cause us to live differently today. God, I pray that words that were written 2,000 years ago would transform us here 
at the end of a decade. God, I pray going forward, as we look forward into 2020 and beyond, I pray that this community would be a community who obeys you, a community that puts obedience to you above everything else. God, I pray that we'd be a, a community that's, that's unified, a community that's healthy, and a community that's always growing in you. Jesus, I'm excited about what you're going to say tonight, and we just pray that you'd speak in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to spend most of our time in verses 12 and 13, but before we dive into them and explain them phrase by phrase, I want to tell you what Paul is saying in the most basic terms, okay, just so you can kind of get your head around this and allow this to kind of be your framework as we work through the text. Paul is calling them to obey Jesus by one, working out their salvation with fear and trembling, and by two, allowing God to work in them. Okay, so working out their salvation with fear and trembling and allowing God to work in them. Okay, like I said, it's a combo of their effort and God's power. Okay, if you get that framework, it's gonna help you to understand this passage. All right, so now let's go phrase by phrase and see what Paul is saying about obedience. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, dot, dot, dot. One, we should obey Jesus because he obeyed. We should obey Jesus because he obeyed. So whenever you're reading the Bible in your own time and you see the word therefore, like it says therefore, don't just start reading that. Go back because therefore is connected to what happened previously. It's connected to what uh, the writer had just written before that. So in this passage, Paul, or Paul's use of therefore shows us that this call for the church at Philippi to be obedient and to work out their salvation with fear and trembling is connected to what he had just said. And the question is, what did he say? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're gonna read it. So we're gonna back up to verse five. What did Paul say? Why should they obey? Okay, let's read it. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of, or so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this little passage here is actually one of the earliest hymns that the church ever had. They would gather around and and sing this song, proclaim this hymn. And the question is, what's it saying? It's, It's saying that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, though he was God, he humbled himself. He became a servant, and he obeyed God even to the point of death on a cross. And because he did that, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, and every knee will bow at his feet on the last day. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that Jesus' obedience and his humility should cause us to live differently. Therefore, as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, it's connected to this. He's saying, because Jesus modeled it, because Jesus came out of heaven, though he was perfect, though he was with God, for all of eternity, because he came out of heaven, because he gave his life for you. Now respond to that and obey. Be like Jesus. 
Allow his obedience to spur on your obedience. The Bible says when we put our faith in God or, or, when, or when we put our faith in Jesus, God gives us the right to become children of God. This passage is saying, be like your father. Be like Jesus. Obey. Jesus gave up everything for God. He did not just give a little bit. Like some of us give a little bit to God. He gave up everything. He said, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I am your humble servant. And Paul is saying, just as Jesus emptied himself and became a servant, you empty yourself and become a servant. Therefore, as you've always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is teaching that Jesus' obedience should cause us to be obedient. G.W. Hansen says this. He says, Christ's death on the cross and his universal lordship are not abstract theological concepts far removed from the nitty-gritty problems of our everyday life. This writer is saying that great theological truth that Jesus died for you should cause you to live differently. Sometimes we get excited about these truths, these theological concepts. We're like, that's amazing, but it doesn't change anything. Paul's saying, get that inside of you in such a way that it changes you. Paul says, because Jesus was obedient, he doesn't enable you to continue living the same way you did before. Instead, his obedience should spur on your obedience. He's saying his radical, utter devotion to God should cause you to be radically utterly devoted to God. It should change you on the inside. But his challenge does not come from trying to put a heavy burden on the church. Okay, sometimes we can read stuff like this and be like, oh, shoot, I struggle a lot with sin. God's gonna be mad at me. I'm not obeying like this, like Paul's calling me to. And, and Paul here, he's not trying to like put a big burden on you. So if you're feeling a heavy burden, that's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to put some or some weighty yoke upon you and say, hey, try to figure out your salvation on your own. Instead, Paul is calling you to look at the cross, to look at what Jesus has done for you, and to realize that salvation's a free gift. It's all God's doing, but it should change you. If you've really accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, it should change you radically. It should cause you to do stupid things in the eyes of the world, not stupid things as in don't show up to class or something like that, I'm talking about stupid things like radical acts of generosity. I'm talking about giving your life for others. I'm talking about staying up late with a friend when they're struggling. Jesus should cause you to do things that seem crazy to the world. His obedience should cause you to be obedient. And here, I love this because Paul is challenging them, right? But he calls them beloved. He says, therefore, beloved. And it's because this comes from a place of love. Paul's challenge comes from a pastoral heart. He's embracing them. He's saying, hey, beloved, be the son, be the daughter that God has called you to be. I'm not putting a heavy burden on you. I'm not telling you to go and earn your salvation. I'm saying if Jesus really did this, if Jesus really gave everything for you, it's got to change you. And if it doesn't, you need to look at the cross again. Like not go and pull up your bootstraps and work harder, but go and look at the cross again and let the love of God get inside of your heart. Guys, whenever I'm not obeying Jesus, I ask myself, do I really understand how much he loves me? And most of the time the answer is no. I don't really get it, because if I really get how much Jesus loves me, it changes me. It causes me to be radically obedient. So tonight, I'm not telling you to go and try to figure out your salvation on your own. I'm telling you to look at Jesus and look at what he did and, and allow that to change you. 
So something that's been a game changer for me spiritually and in being consistent with the Lord is realizing this fact that his commandments are not a heavy burden. I don't have to get my life in order and then he'll love me. Instead, his commandments are opportunities to worship him, to respond to his love, and to be the son that he's called me to be. So for example, I try to read my Bible every day, but I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I'm behind right now on my one-year Bible reading plan, and it's almost over. This year's almost over. I'll catch up. Don't you worry. Too prideful for that. But uh, I'll catch up. I've got a couple days behind. But I don't read it every single day. Things happen. I wake up late. I'm like, oh, crap. i got to go to the office. I hang out with the interns and the staff, and then all of a sudden I'm doing a one-on-one, and then I'm doing all these spiritual things, and then I get tired and I fall asleep. <laughs> I don't actually read the Bible that day. It sounds stupid, right? But there's a difference now the way I uh, react to God uh, when I do that. Before, what I would do, if I didn't read my Bible, I was like, God is mad at me. I better stay away from him for a while because when I get back in his presence, he's going to be ready to discipline me. He's going to tell me, yo, dude, you screwed up yesterday. Like, I was waiting, and you weren't there, and that really hurt my feelings. But now when I miss it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that stunk that I missed it, but God still loves me just the same, right? He loves me the same. And he's just waiting for me to come back and to spend some time with him. It's not like he's waiting to whip me or to yell at me, but he's excited. He's like, oh, Daniel, you're back. I missed you yesterday. I'm not mad at you, but I'm glad you're back. And, and now I view Bible reading, prayer, and all these things as, as opportunities, not as these legal obligations I need to do to say in his good gracious, right? It's, it's, it, they're, they're not obligations, they're opportunities, right? They're not legal obligations. They're relational opportunities to grow closer to Jesus. Okay, so guys, if you miss your Bible reading once during Thanksgiving, or not Thanksgiving, during Christmas break, do not beat yourself up. Like, do not say, okay, now I got to wait five days in a probationary period and, and work up a speech for God. And when I have the speech figured out and I feel pretty excited again because a new Hillsong song came out and I heard it on the radio and it got me pumped up, then I'll go back into his presence. Instead, you say, okay, I'm sad that I missed it yesterday, but I'm going to get back into it because I missed my Jesus. And then you go spend time with him again, and he'll be ready to embrace you. That's the first step, because some of you, like, you get off track the first day, and you're just like, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm waiting until I get back to, to Chi Alpha when I have a small group leader that's hounding me. <laughs> All right, so with that said, the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, is not we obey and therefore we are loved or saved. Instead, the gospel is Jesus obeyed, and therefore we are saved, we are loved. And now we can obey him out of love and gratitude for him. Okay, so how do you get your heart in such a way where you consistently encounter God's love? Obviously, I talked about looking at the cross and all that, but I think there's, there's a couple of things. One, I think you need to be in the word every day. So again, you're not in the word to make God happy. You're in the word because you want to see God's love. You want to experience God's love. You want to experience his power, okay? The second thing is let others speak into your life, okay? So you all need to be God to each other. So there's times when we're just kind of in a wacky place and our brains are all over the place. Our thoughts are all, not our brains, our thoughts are all, all over the place and we need someone who can come and cut through that and speak truth and love to us and say, hey, Jesus still loves you. Do you know that? Jesus still loves you. Okay, so we need people to speak truth into our lives. Okay, so if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Third thing is we need to constantly be intentional about pointing our hearts towards God. Okay, so one way I do this is I listen to worship music any chance I get. There's something about worship music. 
It starts playing. My heart starts kind of doing a little jump. Okay, a little skipping, skipping, scabbing. Okay, like, like promises never fail today. I was sitting in here during practice. I was a little distracted during service, to be honest. But during practice, I was like, ah, yeah, God is so good. And I was ready to go and kick down the gates of hell after that, right? So we need to do things and be intentional, put ourselves in positions where we can experience God's love so then we can respond to with obedience. All right. I still got a lot to say tonight because it's a smaller crowd. I'm just going to go to like 11, okay? And you're all my friends, right? So, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. Kylie looked at me like, you better not, boy. I want to get some ice cream. <laughs> but uh, so I just want to say one more thing about this before I go on. Verses 5 through 11, like I said, is a hymn, right? Okay, so Paul is reading a hymn, and then he says, obey God. Okay, I think he did that intentionally. He read a hymn. He, he sung a worship song to them. And then he said, obey God. He did that on purpose. He wanted to stir up worship in their hearts before he called them to obedience. That's why we play worship music before. That's part of the reason why we do that before the proclamation of the word. We want to get your hearts in the right place to receive the word. Because you come in here and you're thinking about your chemistry test. You're thinking about that person who cut you off in traffic who you still want to beat up. And we come in here and it's a chance during worship to, or to get our hearts right and to see Jesus. And then I get to give you the truth after that. Paul did that on purpose, okay? So you need to do the same thing. Spend time in God's presence. Spend time with worship music. Spend time singing songs to God, and then out of that, you can obey him. All right. The second point tonight comes from the back half of verse 12. Well, actually, the middle part. It says, so not only as in my presence, but, or, but much more in my absence. Okay, so second point is we should obey Jesus no matter where we are or who we are with. Paul loved this church. He, like, loved them so much, he longed to be with them. At the beginning of the letter, he says this. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He loved this people. However, he was in prison, so he couldn't see them in person. So he wrote this letter as an attempt to encourage them, but the letter could only go so far. They needed to be committed to Jesus no matter if Paul was there or not. They needed to make a decision and say, I'm wholly committed to Jesus no matter where I am or who I'm with. If Paul's not here, that doesn't matter. I'm still committed to Jesus. Paul worried about their obedience. He worried about it. He really did. You can see the, all throughout the letter, he's like, keep obeying. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But the beautiful thing is at the same time that he worried about it, he had confidence that God had them. Okay, in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He was confident that God would be faithful with the church, but he also wanted to do whatever he could to point them in the right direction, which is why he wrote this letter. He knew that while salvation is a free gift that they could not earn, Becoming more like Jesus requires effort. It requires effort. You can't just sit there. It requires effort. Being like Jesus is hard. It is hard. You have to be intentional. Okay, the gospel is opposed to earning. It's opposed to that. You can't earn salvation, but it's not opposed to effort. God wants us to work hard to follow him. He wants us to be intentional. He wants us to read the word. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to confess our sin. And my prayer for us as a community 
is that each and every one of us would be fully committed to Jesus, no matter how good the worship music is, no matter who's around. My prayer is that this community would say, I am sold out for this Jesus. And my salvation, my faith does not depend upon another person. It depends upon Jesus himself, the one whom my soul loves. I pray that for you. I pray that you would have intimacy with Jesus. I pray that for myself. I pray that I would know Jesus in such a way that you could take away everything that he's given me and I would still follow him. I believe it's possible. I believe it's possible, but it takes a commitment to say, to say my faith is not dependent upon my environment, but my faith is dependent upon the cross of Jesus Christ where he gave everything to me. And then he rose up out of the grave. And if he did that, that's gonna change me for the rest of my life. I'm really excited about the fact that God has trusted me with Jane. I love Jane, right? She's running up here earlier. She wants to be on stage. She was trying to play the Nord earlier. I love Jane. And I'm so excited for the next 17 years to disciple her and teach her and to have her in my house where I can speak truth to her and speak love to her and tell her how valuable she is. But the thing I'm more excited for is when she leaves my house. I'm excited when she's 18 and she leaves my house and probably gets married, hopefully, to a, a good guy. Pray about that one. That keeps me up at night. Okay, so back, we're going to skip that. My, the thing I'm excited about is when she gets out of my house and she continues following Jesus with everything she has and she goes further than, or further than I went. That's what I'm excited about. And God wants that for you right now. God doesn't want your faith to be dependent upon the University of Northern Iowa Chi Alpha. Come on, somebody. He does not want that. He wants you to change the atmosphere of whatever room you're in. He wants you to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. That's my prayer this Christmas break, that you would go home and that you'd be a light in your house, that you'd be a light in your community, that you'd be different, that you would not bow to this world. I pray that would be the same thing that happens for Jane when she leaves my house. I pray that she'd be such a light, such a bright light. I pray that for you. But it's gonna take commitment. It's gonna take intentionality. It's gonna take saying, okay, I read my Bible every day. Especially without Kyle for being around, I need to read my Bible every day. I need to spend time in intentional prayer each day. I need to confess my sins to my small group leader or my friend when I struggle. I can't just sit in it and wallow in my sin over break and just say, I'm not gonna tell anyone until I get back. No, that's, that's dumb. That's from the devil. Sin grows best in the dark, but it's destroyed in the light. So as soon as you start struggling, if you do, hopefully you don't, but if you struggle over break, Text somebody. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. Can you pray for me? It's going to take effort on your part. You can't just go in all excited and be like, yeah, I got this. You're going to have to read the Bible. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to confess your sins. You're going to have to stay in touch with your small group leader and your friends in Chi Alpha. And you're going to have to plug into a local church if you haven't found one in your community. I know it's only three weeks, but hey, three services, that's important. God can do some incredible things in those services. I pray that you make a commitment right now to set an alarm clock in the morning and not sleep till noon. That's just not smart spiritually speaking. I'm gonna sleep until the sun is headed on the way down. <laughs> That's not smart. Wake up early and read the word before everyone else gets up in your house. I don't wanna hear you complaining about how loud your house is. Same thing with your dorm. I don't wanna hear it, guys. Get up earlier. If you have to get up at 4.30, it's worth it to look at Jesus and spend time with him. I pray that our our most important value would not be how much sleep can I get, how lazy can I be, and how much pleasure can I have. I pray that our chief value would be 
how much time can I spend in the presence of God? I want to do whatever it takes to get there to get in his presence. And if that means waking up at 6 over Christmas break, I'm going to do that. I pray that we'd make a commitment to do whatever Jesus tells us to do over break and to be his light even when we're in a dark room. Okay, so what does it look like to do this, to be obedient to Jesus, to do what he tells you to do? Well, Paul talks more about this at the end of verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so third thing is we should obey Jesus by working hard and, and staying humble. Okay, Paul says, as you've always obeyed, dot, 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 work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I picture the Philippians running a race right now. Paul says, you've been running well. He says, you're doing good, but you got to continue. you got to run towards the finish line. you got to stay committed. Does anyone in here watch The Office? Okay, so season four, episode one, is the fun run episode. So Michael thinks it's a good idea to eat a bunch of pasta before the, does anyone know the name of that run? I don't know, it's long. Okay, it's the, it's the rabies run. Someone's got it, but I won't say. Okay, so. Paul, or not Paul, so I don't know who Paul is. Michael eats a bunch of pasta. He's laying on the ground. The finish line's over here. He's laying there. He's got like, he's got like a bunch of foam in his mouth. And he's like, ugh. And then Jim and Pam come up, and they're like, hey, what are you doing, buddy? He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't remember exactly what they say, but they get him to, or to get up, and he gets up, and he runs across the finish line. He finishes the race. And sometimes I think we're like Michael laying on the ground. We're like, oh, I can't do it anymore. I can't read my Bible, I missed a day, so I gotta read two chapters tomorrow. I can't do it, I can't catch up, I'm done for. I picture Paul getting up in our face and saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you idiot. He doesn't say idiot, he says my beloved, right? He says my beloved. He says my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So anyways, point is, Paul is calling the Philippians to get up, keep going, and finish the race says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But this phrase is confusing. And it's funny, I plan on preaching on this passage, and I got multiple questions this week about what it means to fear God, what it means to work out your salvation. I'm like, I already plan on preaching on this, so let's see how I do, okay? So I want to take a second to define these terms, okay? First term is work out. Okay, what does it mean to work out? This phrase in the Greek means to cause a state or condition to bring about, to produce, or to create. So when Paul says work out, He's saying that you need to produce or you need to create something. In this case, he says you need to produce salvation. Whoa, that sounds anti-gospel. And it is anti-gospel if that's what it means, right? Because salvation is a free gift from God. You don't create it. You don't produce it. You don't achieve it. It seems weird because Paul over and over again says that salvation is a free gift. We don't save ourselves. In Romans 10, he says that it's with our hearts that we believe and are justified and and with our mouths that we confess and are saved, okay? So salvation is a gift that comes when we profess that Jesus is Lord, okay? So what does he mean by salvation? Well, it's important here to understand the context, okay? So when you're reading the Bible, you can't just take, take verses and rip them out of context and read them and say, I don't get this. You have to read it in context. So in this context, Paul is dealing with a community that's struggling with disunity, okay? They're struggling to stay unified. So in his mind, when he's saying to work out your salvation, he's not really talking about individuals being saved from hell. What he's talking about is a more corporate thing. He's saying, as a community, you need to have harmony that's characterized by serving each other. He's calling the church to be who they're called to be, 
and to model Jesus to the world. So when he says, work out your salvation, Paul is saying, be the community that God has called you to be. Be in unity. Be whole. Be healthy. Paul calls them and us not just to be saved and to have a ticket to heaven, but he calls us to represent our salvation to the world. He calls us to live out our salvation. Because Paul is essentially saying, live out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, don't just receive it, but then display it. Be like Jesus. So Paul is not calling us tonight to work for our salvation, but he's saying, live out your salvation. And here's the thing, guys. If you're not living like Jesus, if you're a new believer, you just put your faith in him, just tune me out for the next two seconds. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you don't look much like him, I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus. Because the salvation that Paul describes is one that changes you in such a way that you look different. And Paul is saying, hey, hey, you better work the salvation out. You're not going to earn it, but you better make sure that it's really been deposited in your heart and changed you. And that doesn't mean you go and you try harder and say, okay, I got to obey so I can be saved, but it means you need to go and look at the cross again and say, has that really changed me? Do I really believe in this Jesus? And if you do, it's going to cause you to start changing. Okay, so what's he mean by fear and trembling? Well, in the Old Testament, this language was typically used to describe an awe of God, to describe a reverence that comes for God when you're in his presence. And it's also used to describe the fear that other nations had of Israel because they had the God of the whole world with them. They were, the other nations were fearful of Israel because they had a one true living God with them. Okay, so fear and trembling, it's not talking about being terrified per se. It's more talking about this awe, this this reverence. Paul uses this phrase over and over again in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he says that he preached in weakness and in fear and trembling. So is he saying, I preached being terrified and scared of God? No, he's saying, I preached with or such a reverence and awe and respect for God. So when Paul calls you to have a sense of fear and trembling, he's calling you to have an attitude of humility before God, an attitude of reverence before him, an attitude of submission to him in his presence, saying, I'm submitted to you. I'm giving everything to you. I'm not going to be the Lord of my own life. Instead, I'm going to submit it to you. I'm going to give it to you, God. So Paul is saying, if we can have this healthy fear of the Lord, this healthy awe of the Lord, our selfish attitudes that sometimes ruin community, like here in Philippians, are going to be dispelled the mindsets we have that cause us, or, or cause us not to live like Christ are going to be pushed out, and God is going to come in. Okay, so this fear and trembling is saying, don't be terrified. He's not calling you to be afraid of God. There's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear, right? That's what we said last week. But he's calling you to have a humility before him. Okay, so when you sin, not to be flippant about it, but to say, God, you're holy. God, you're holy, you're perfect. Jesus, you came out of heaven for me. You, you gave your life for me. You gave everything for me. How could I do this? I'm, I, I'm sorry, Lord, I love you. Help me to be more like you. And then in that moment, you experience his presence. And his presence does not create a sense of being terrified. Over and over again in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid. He comes to you and he says, I love your humble heart. I'm near to the humble, but I oppose the proud. But you're being humble right now. I'm near to you. Now get up, my son, my daughter, and continue going. 
continue following me. But it starts with humility. It starts with reverence before God. And I don't think we have a lot of reverence sometimes, guys. I think our, our faith is very flippant at times. It's like, I'll pay attention to Jesus once a week, you know, whatever. You know, Jesus is my homeboy. I don't know if that was a thing when you guys were growing up, but for me it was. There's like trucker hats they'd sell that said Jesus is my homeboy. thought they were really cool. I don't know what I'm talking about right now, but <laughs> point is we need to have some reverence. Paul is saying, hey, take this thing seriously. When you sin, don't be flippant, but instead come into the presence of the Almighty and say, God, I've fallen short. Help me to be your son, to be your daughter. And then allow his love to come in and change you. All right, did anyone in here play sports in high school? Okay, wow, you guys are athletes, jocks. I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, I played football, and I, I remember the teammates who seemed to attract the coach's affection were always the teammates who were super humble, super respectful, but at the same time, they had this grit, this tenacity. When they got on the field, they were like growling. They're going after it. They were incredibly humble incredibly respectful of the coaches, but at the same time, they had this aggression inside of them. They had this tenacity that said they want to do whatever it takes to be the best football player they can be. And I believe that the Lord's looking for something similar. I'm not telling you to growl, but I'm talking about this humility and respect before God, but then also this commitment to work hard and to do what he asks you to do and to be ferociously committed to him, not to be flippant, not to be, oh, maybe I'll obey him, maybe I'll go to church, maybe I'll do smaller, whatever, but to say, I'm going to do or do whatever it takes to be the servant that God has called me to be. I think that's what Paul is getting at here when he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying that he wants you to be humble before God and then respond to that encounter with God by working to be like him in every single way. All right, so one more thing here I want to hit on and then we'll be done. In verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So last thing, we should, sorry, or, or we should obey Jesus as he works in us. So it's like this partnership that happens. We should work for Jesus or obey Jesus as he works in us. Paul could not call the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling and then just leave it there and say, figure it out. No, he had to say, God is going to work in you as you do this. It's not something you do without God's help. For it is God who works in you. It's not your own doing. If they were going to obey Jesus, they needed the Holy Spirit to help them. Nothing we do for God and no fruit we bear for him is because of us. It's because of God working inside of us to produce something. It's this partnership of him working in us and then us responding to that in obedience. In John 15, 5, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches and whoever abides in me and I am in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. This is why we ask you to read your Bibles every day because apart from him, you can do nothing. I don't want your religion. I don't want your rule following. I want Jesus to work inside of you in such a way that it causes you to bear fruit. A branch does not have to grit and go, bear fruit. No, a branch just stays connected to the vine. All of a sudden, fruit starts coming out, right? Just an apple appears. Boop, apple. <laughs> As you connect to Jesus, it's going to be like, boop, generosity. Boop, I didn't yell at that person in traffic. 
Boop, I didn't check that chick out. The fruit's going to start coming as you get in God's presence. As God works in you, the fruit comes. It is God who works in you. It's not your own doing. And the Greek word here for work is the sense of, of, of putting one's capabilities into operation. So it's when Paul says that God works in you, it's like, like God is putting his capabilities into operation inside of you. He's active in you. He is effective in you. God works in us before we ever do anything. This doesn't mean we don't work, right? We just said you should work, right? Okay, so it's kind of, it seems like a paradox. It doesn't mean we don't work, but it means that as we seek to work, as we seek to obey Jesus, we have to remember that it's God that's strengthening us and giving us the ability to work. It's both and. It's not one or the other. Okay, so I'm not advocating either way of saying, okay, it's God who works in me, so I'm going to be passive. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to go to Chi Alpha. I'm going to sit with Jesus in my dorm and hope that good things happen. No, it's not that. It's not that passivity, but it's also not this, this anxiousness that says, oh, I need to work. I need to do things to earn God's favor. So it's this beautiful thing of both ends. It's God working in and then us responding to that in obedience. So the cause is God's work and the effect is our work. The cause is God's work. The effect is our work. The goal of God's work in us is that, or the goal of God's work inside of us is obedience. It's that we'd be the people that he called us or calls us to be. Great example of this in my journey is my sexual purity struggle, the struggle to find sexual purity. Prior to coming into college, I was addicted to pornography. But after I recommitted my life to Jesus, I experienced his love in such a way that that began to loosen on my life. It didn't go away completely. It just began to loosen. And then I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It began to loosen some more. The chains were, I think, truly broke at that moment. But it also took my effort. It's not like I could go into an adult shop and be like, God's working inside of me. I ain't going to do anything bad right now, right? I had to work, right, being intentional. So things I did is I set up accountability on my phone. I, I still, to this day, don't use regular web browsers on my phone. I use ones that have accountability software just to keep me accountable. It takes confessing my sins to others. So even when I have a lustful thought, I confess to people. I say, hey, I had a lustful thought today. It takes this effort. It takes reading God's word every day. If I didn't read God's word every day, you would not like me. I would not be like Jesus at all because I'm not very good on my own, right? It, 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 it takes these intentional acts of effort coupled with God's power and love to produce obedience. I believe that God wants to do a similar thing in each of our hearts tonight and over the coming days, weeks, months, and years. Ten years will fly by. For most of us, life is long. And there's some things that you're going to struggle through for a while. There's some things that you'll struggle through for a, for a while. Like some of you really struggle with anger. And you just snap at people. That probably won't go away overnight. But after years of being intentional, after years of letting God work in you, it will loosen off your life. Sometimes God does a work in a snap, but not typically. And we need to think in those terms, say, hey, I'm not living just for today. I'm living for the future me, and I want to be be more like Jesus in 10 years. I need to do intentional things now to get there, though. So if you say, okay, I'm going to go out of here and I'm going to start obeying Jesus, and you don't do it perfectly tomorrow, it's okay. It doesn't come in, in just an instant. It takes intentionality. 
But as we are intentional, as we let God work in us, slowly we'll begin to become more like Jesus. So what does this look like when this happens? Well, Paul talks about this in the last few verses. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. It looks like our salvation being worked into every area of our lives. As we continually obey, it gets into every area. It says, do all things, do all things without grumbling or disputing. When Jesus arrives in our lives, it begins to change all things about us. And it looks like not grumbling or fighting. It looks like being innocent little children who are clean in the midst of a faithless generation. It looks like shining bright in a previously dark room. It looks like holding fast to the word of life, the word of God, and holding fast to what God says and not what the world says. It looks like letting God determine what we believe and how we behave and not letting the world determine what we believe and how we behave. When we partner with God's spirit to see obedience take root in our lives, we're gonna start to stick out. We're gonna shine as lights. We're gonna start to look different. That's my prayer over winter break. I say all this because of this. This is what I want to happen. My prayer is that all of us would shine brightly no matter where we are. My prayer is that we would all be like Jesus and be his hands and feet no matter where God takes us. Because here's the reality. We're not all gonna be together forever. You know, Zach and, and Elisha had their senior things tonight, and they're gonna be gone here soon. And that's gonna happen to all of you. Well, a couple of you I'm gonna hopefully keep, but... Most of you are going to leave. And I pray that you'd be like Jesus after you leave here. And here's my question for you. Do you think you will be? Do you think when you take away all the stuff of Chi Alpha, are you still going to be like Jesus? Or are you just doing it because you're in a community that's causing you to be like that? Are you just blending into a culture? Because if you're blending into this culture, you'll blend into the next culture too. My prayer is that, that Jesus would get inside of you, that the cross would get inside of you in such a way that you shine as lights in this world no matter where you are or who you're with. I believe it's possible. I believe that as we let the love of God get inside of our hearts, as we work hard and stay humble, and as we let God's spirit work within us, we can be obedient. We can be shining lights no matter where we are. Okay, so the main idea tonight is this. God's love plus God's power plus our effort equals obedience. Don't say I never taught you anything. This is a math problem. God's love plus God's power plus our effort, equals obedience. Okay, so tonight, if you're here and you're struggling with obedience, which is probably all of us because I'm struggling with obedience, can I get an amen, somebody? Come on, we're all struggling in some way. Amen. Thank you. We need to start doing that at Kyle. I'm just saying, I want to hear you go, go ahead, pastor. Okay, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. If you're struggling with obedience, I would propose to you that it's one of these three things that aren't taking root in your life. God desires for us to shine as lights in the world. He desires that for us. Just as Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a baby and, and shined light in a dark world, he wants us to shine bright in dark rooms today. So no, no matter if you're in a classroom of people who hate Jesus, no matter if you're in a dorm room or a dorm floor of people who don't really think about Jesus, or if you're in a family living room with family members who, who 
Maybe they know about Jesus, but he doesn't really affect their lives. Like, no matter where you are, that you know Jesus in such a way that his love, his power is in you in such a way that it, that it changes you. That's my prayer for us. But for that to happen, first we have to get a revelation of God's love. I pray Philippians 2, 5 through 11 would get inside of you that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he gave up his life for us. I pray that that love would get inside of you. Jesus loves you. He knows all the terrible things you did last week, all the terrible things I did. And he still loves you. He still decided to die for you. When Jesus was hanging up on that tree, he saw your whole life. He saw all the bad decisions you would make, and he still did it. He still gave up his life for you. That love should change us. So when you stumble, when you fall, you say, Jesus, you already saw this, and you still died for me. Oh, my goodness. If you love me in that way, I want to be different in the future. If you still gave it up for me, even though you saw that, I want to be better in the future. Okay, so, so God's love has to get in you. But the second thing is the power of God's, the power of God has to start moving in your heart. It, it has to start empowering you to be different. God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart and to, and to dwell in mine. But we have to not just realize that the Holy Spirit's there, but we have to access his power. Okay, so just like in a bank account, we can have a bunch of cash sitting in there, but not access it. Just like that can happen. Same thing can happen where the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, but we don't really access him. We don't talk to him. We don't acknowledge him. And we don't ask him to help us. We just try to do everything on our own strength. And if you're doing that, if we're doing that, we're not going to be the sons and daughters that God has called us to be. But instead, when we're headed into a hostile situation, maybe you're in a class with people who hate Jesus, you say, Holy Spirit, give me words to say today. Give me words to say. Or when you're headed to hang out with that sister or that brother who just really gets on your nerves, you say, Holy Spirit, I want your kindness inside of me to overflow today. It takes this acknowledgement, this recognition that he's there, and this admission saying, hey, I need you to help me. Okay, so I pray that his power would begin to work in us. But then the last thing is we gotta work too. Guys, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean you earn your salvation, but it means you have to put some effort in to be the son or daughter that God's called you to be. So don't shrink back at the first sign of resistance. But keep pressing in. When Satan comes at you, which he will, he'll probably come at you tonight. When he comes at you, and he attacks you, speak the truth of scripture to him. Just like Jesus did when Satan came at him in the wilderness. Speak scripture back at him. And when Satan comes to you and tries to accuse you, you quote Romans 8 to him. And say, who can bring a charge against God's elect? You speak truth to him. You say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I pray that you wouldn't just shrink back. But I pray that you'd be bold, that you'd have a backbone. And say, I don't care if I experience resistance. This gospel is worth giving everything for. I'm committed to this Jesus. If I miss my Bible reading one day, I'm getting up the next day and I'm reading it. I'm not gonna wallow and say, oh, I screwed up, I'm done for. No, you get back up the next day and you read it. I pray that we be a community that says, oh, salvation's all a gift, but we're gonna work hard to be like Jesus. All right, you guys can stand with me.